Welcome back to the Enterprise Fleet Summit. This is Alan Adler. I am the Detroit Bureau Chief for Freight Waves. We're here with Sam Abadie, who is the head of business development for Embark Trucks. Embark is one of the earliest movers in the autonomous trucking space. Uh, some new technology recently from the company that we'll talk about, as well as just sort of the, uh, what does this really mean for fleets? And uh, we're real happy to have Sam with us. Sam, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Alan. Yeah, you know, this is a great subject. I spend a fair amount of time now writing about it. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of competitors, of course, you're very aware of that. Um, I, I just, I'll start because you guys made some news uh, very recently with uh, what could be called kind of a commoditization of autonomous trucking. Tell us a little bit about your uh, uh, about your interface. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're referring to the Embark Universal Interface, which we actually announced last week. Um, just to give a little con or, uh, context on this, we don't necessarily think about it as commoditizing. Uh, we think about it a little bit more as listening closely to carriers and what they've told us they want. Uh, they've kind of indicated that they'd like to be able to buy our autonomous driving system from all the OEMs. And so we've heard that and have come up with a solution that allows us to do that. Um, when you think about what some of the competitors have done, they've essentially done one-to-one partnerships, uh, a single AV player with a single uh, OEM, and they're going to work together over the coming years to deliver a truck uh, from one OEM that can be bought by carriers. But we took a slightly longer lens on this, and the Embark Universal Interface is essentially a single package of sensors and compute that can be integrated onto any of the major OEMs. And we think we owe it to the OEMs to spend the energy up front right now developing that system and then come to them a little later down the line once carriers are ready to purchase and have it integrated uh, with the OEM trucks so that those carriers can purchase from multiple OEMs, adhering to their current strategy of multi-OEM acquisition. Uh, Sam, uh, let me just ask you to do a couple of quick definitions for us. I, I think I know them, but I don't want to assume our audience does. Um, software stack, compute, give us just some quick definitions, if you would. Absolutely. So if you've ever seen an autonomous truck in one of the you know many news articles, you'll notice that there's some sensors along the top. That's how our system actually sees what's going on on the road, uh, whether it be cars or where the lanes are or when we're going to exit. Uh, and those are proprietary, and we've you know taken a lot of time and effort into selecting which sensors we use, whether it's cameras or lidar or radar. And so that's a package that we want to put together uh, before we come to the OEMs. There's also what we call compute, which is exactly what you think. It's the computers that actually read all that data and make sense of it and make the decisions on what the truck should do stay in its lane, how fast should it go, when should the steering wheel turn, things of that nature. And that system needs to also be tightly integrated with the truck so that it can actually control steering, throttle, and braking. Before we get into some of the true uh, fleet uh, discussion, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the landscape, if you will, in autonomous trucking. Um, again, I it could be five, it could be seven, six, whatever number of main competitors that you have. Everybody seems to be taking a little bit different approach, a go-to-market approach, but everybody is focused on gaining that data and having enough data to feel confident and comfortable that what you're doing is safe. Talk about that a little. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we've been around since 2016 and have been focused on trucking as a use case. So all the data we've been gathering from day one is specific to class eight trucks. And the way we gather that data is twofold. We use our fleet primarily to just run the latest version of our software on roads, on test tracks, in simulation, and essentially learn when errors happen, how to resolve them for next time. And then we also peel off a small portion of that fleet to haul for partners, shippers and carriers. And this helps us better understand how the tech will actually run in the real world. You've been doing this longer, really, than anybody, as far as I can tell. Uh, you mentioned being founded in 2016. I think you got a lot of attention around 2017 for some of the work you were doing, like pulling Frigidaires from, I'm going to get this, I hope, right, El Paso to Palm, Palm Springs, I think in California or thereabouts. Did I get yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you've been doing this. You have a, a pretty good base of data going. But you know, one of the things that I think is confusing to people about autonomous trucks, we we throw around terms like level four and level two and things like that. Um, rather than give the actual definitions, we could just say that level four would let you drive a truck pretty much without human uh, intervention unless needed. Level two requires more attention, such as, you know, the, the driver really can't take his or her eyes off off the road or off of the uh, the task. Um, you're running level four software, but you're really sort of doing kind of level two. Am I correct or is that incorrect? Uh, no, it's not, not incorrect. The way to think about this, because it's a fair question and it does require explanation. The way to think about this is there are two stages for an autonomous trucking company. We are currently squarely in the testing phase and all our competitors are as well. Later down the road, there's the commercial stage. In the testing stage, like you said, we are testing level four software, which is meant to run without a driver behind the wheel. But since we're testing it, we have a driver there at all times because there's no reason in taking any risk. Later down the road, once we prove that safety case, we would expect that driver to come out and those trucks to run without a driver uh, on the same lanes as they were before. How accurate then is it to talk about uh, these trucks as being self-driving? Are they truly self-driving trucks at this point? Yeah, so I, I would I would consider them truly self-driving, and I'll provide explanation, and everyone can make their own judgment. Um, we run daily from you know LA to Phoenix, and those trucks are steering themselves, applying brake, and applying throttle for themselves, and the and the safety driver many times doesn't ever touch the vehicle while it's making that entire run. It's putting all the inputs itself and only in the, you know, the off chance that a, an issue occurs, does the driver step in. Something else that you just recently announced uh, just a few days before your interface was this idea of, of construction zones, which is, you know, one of those things that could clearly flummox a, an autonomous truck, right? Tell me a little about Absolutely. that. Yeah, so this actually gets also to a core con or a core aspect of the way we build autonomous versus the way some others build autonomous. We build it where we're looking at the road 95% of the time and reading what's happening versus uh, driving from a map per se, where you've, you're constantly need to know what the map says and then you're trying to navigate within it. By looking at the road and all the different things that are in it, we're able to pick up construction zones when they may not be present on the digital maps that others are using. And that's actually the, the type of things that we're working through with the state of Arizona to understand where those construction zones are so we can get more reps running through them so we can better learn how to handle them. 
So those are those are the type of things then if if uh, that would uh, perhaps in a competitor's case require a, a, a takeover or I guess you call it disengage is one of the terms that you used to you know it came up on something side you weren't expecting it it wasn't necessarily sensed uh, but you're able to basically keep going I guess without uh, disengaging is that right Yeah that's that's the idea Yep Yeah. And uh, are you finding, I, I have to believe you are, that over time you're doing fewer and fewer disengagements, right? I mean, the, the trucks are driving more and more on their own? Yeah. Yeah. I, generally, that is true. The, the one thing I'll say is, uh, and, and I'm sure you've, you've had others kind of share this, disengagements can be a misleading uh, measure <laughs> because as you put the truck in more and more difficult situations, which you always should be so that you're learning, disengagements can go up, they can go down. It, it's really dependent on the environment you're putting it in. but uh, you know, the, the truck and its performance is consistently moving forward. Sure. Um, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about fleets, which is ostensibly why we're here today anyway. This is going to make a real difference. And, and you and Too Simple, uh, one of your competitors, have been hauling real loads. You, you've been, you've been, you know, and I presume uh, making money doing it or at least revenue. Uh, the idea being, though, that uh, this is where it's headed. And so, but you have a little different approach to, to doing this. Can you explain how you're different? from the other guy yeah uh, absolutely so um we, we essentially have a central philosophy at embark of a partnership-based business model uh, and the idea here is whenever we come into the freight ecosystem let's look at all the players around us and anytime we determine someone can do something better than us we should probably outsource it to them so that we can focus on building good software and the biggest example of that is the carrier uh, we've been fortunate to have them providing us feedback and working with us closely as partners for a long time now. And it's essentially helped teach us that they are extremely effective at getting utilization out of the trucks, maintaining the trucks, dispatching the trucks, all the types of things that we don't have large scale experience doing. And we're fine saying that because we think they are the end operator of the truck. So in our future business model, unlike some others, we think that the carriers are the ones who purchase the truck and operate them. And we think that this offers a couple of key advantages for both of us. It, uh, it lets them in on the strong economics of autonomous trucking. It lets them uh, deliver a better product to their shipper customers because they're able to run it better than we would. It also allows uh, the total system to scale more quickly because selling to a handful of carriers is gonna allow us to get many more autonomous trucks on the road than if we tried to scale up our own fleet. What and then the lastly, plan? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, <laughs> I was just saying, lastly, it, it essentially lets us focus on developing the software instead of all the other things. Sure. And so the software, and, and I'm just, I'm curious, I, I imagine you have plans for how you're going to do this. Will you look to these uh, trucking companies, the, the manufacturers, to do the installation of this, or is this something you'll do offline? Or how, how will you get your system, your interface, if you will, into these trucks, um, what, what's the plan there? Yeah, and, and this actually goes back to the Embark Universal Interface program that we mentioned earlier. That is the plan uh, for getting our system onto OEM trucks and then have OEM, OEM sell them to carriers. Okay, so the installation then is done in the factories. That's the ideal, the ideal thing. Yes. Rather we, than having a big upfit, if you will. Yes, and... and we can't take credit for, you know, coming up with that being the optimal strategy. It's really been through our conversations with carriers that we've understood that's how they'd like to take uh, ownership of these trucks. 
And so we're trying to adhere to, uh, let's call it the exist, the way the existing ecosystem works. Right. So, so Sam, let's, let's talk a little bit about the future. What is, what is autonomous freight look like in five years? We know what it looks like today. It's a test thing. I would call it a science project because that sounds a bit, uh, a bit offensive, maybe, but you, you're not, this isn't everywhere yet. That's probably a good thing that it isn't, but, but uh, what does it look like in five years? Yeah, no, that's a good, and, and it's absolutely true. Right now, everything is, is relatively low volume. I think in five years, if you peered into a particular large carrier, you would see that alongside their dedicated and their OTR and their intermodal operations, they now have another business unit that is doing autonomous trucking. And they're essentially purchasing these trucks from OEMs and they're running them for their shipper partners. And these trucks have a couple of advantages over some of the other modes that are inside of their total network. They're able to run 24 hours a day. They're slightly more sustainable uh, because of the reduced fuel consumption. Uh, and they're running at a safer level uh, than some of the other OTR trucks. And so the, for those reasons, we'd expect that that portion of the carrier's business would, would be growing over time. Uh, or sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to, I was going to ask you a question, but I don't want to cut you off again. No, uh, no, that, that, that's what we think things look like in five years. We don't expect it to be across the entirety of the U.S. at that point in time. Uh, but you could, you know, you could safely imagine that the southern half of the U.S. Uh, has autonomous truck capacity flowing throughout it at this point, and it's starting to possibly dissipate into the northern half. Northern half. Mm -hmm. Are these likely going to be repeatable runs, sort of the the hub to hub thing, which I think is kind of what you guys are doing um, now? Do you see that as being? I love this idea that it may be a separate business unit because I had not heard that before. That that you know that it, it might join you know intermodal or whatever as a as a separate unit, but it makes sense that you would have. People focus just on that. You don't just integrate them with the rest of your with the rest of your fleet. Um, is is there a um, is there an opportunity there for something beyond kind of hub to hub, or is hub to hub likely to be the 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 approach? Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good question. One that we we spent a lot of time talking with shippers about. Um, I think hub to hub is where this starts because it's the easiest uh, model to go live with because it's the simplest technical problem to solve. It requires us just to run on highway. But over time, we think it's, it's very probable that you're mapping in some of your shipper partners' hubs into your network. Essentially, their distribution centers are becoming like hubs would be. Uh, and it's just gonna be a matter of time and volume density uh, that'll kind of guide the pace at which that happens. Sure. Would you uh, uh, would you see that uh, carriers that you mentioned again? I'm kind of fixated on something you just said about the the business unit. But what will it look like for carriers to operate uh, autonomous trucks? Yeah. Uh, so again, something we talk with them a lot about, and it's going to be a little different than uh, operating human driven trucks today. There, there's a number of uh, nuanced things. I mean. Take, for example, the fact that uh, we'll have to conduct drayage, essentially, from the from and to the transfer route. And so some carriers have deep expertise in how to run that efficiently. Uh, some don't as much. And so getting drayage operations optimized will be a critical aspect of a carrier's capabilities moving forward. Hmm. These vehicles will... Or sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, certainly in the drayage side, we're seeing a lot of the early electrification uh, in California, which is so climate conscious, but but we're seeing a lot of the electric electric trucks in these areas that you know are 
disadvantaged communities because of pollution and things like that. And, you know, presumably uh, you could pair uh, autonomous with electric again, five years out. We're going to be looking at, you know, more than maybe a nascent kind of uh, startup, if you will, in terms of electric trucks. We actually see some. Do you see um, and is there any particular engineering uh, feat involved with integrating, say, your user interface with an electric truck versus a a diesel power truck? Yeah. So so I'll hit really quickly because you you mentioned a, a great operating model that we're really excited about. The idea that the DRE can be conducted by an electric vehicle. Because uh, effectively, the transfer up model turns every run into three runs, and two of them can be done by electric, uh, which, which we think is really exciting. Uh, but to your question, can, can our system run on an electric vehicle? Fundamentally, yes. Electric vehicles interface is not too dissimilar from a diesel-powered truck's throttle, braking, and steering. Uh, same way that you give a pedal uh, a position signal, you would give the same thing if it was an electric versus a diesel system. So we don't we don't see huge engineering feats uh, being needed to retrofit the system to electric. And once electric's ready for it, we we expect we would move that way. Mm-hmm. You know, fleet managers have a lot to get used to right now. And again, back to electrification, they're trying to decide. You know, where does it make sense? How does it pencil out? Things like that. What should carriers be thinking about today, though, in terms of getting ready for to prepare? For a deployment of autonomous trucks. Yeah, so we we have a, a theory that it'll start with the larger carriers, um, call it top 100, uh, because we think that those carriers are willing to maybe make the upfront investment necessary to get this business scaling, and so we target that right now. Um, we try to work with the larger carriers, and 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 have been for a little while. So how does how does the existing ecosystem for for trucking again it's it's changing a little bit especially at the medium duty side with the adoption of electrics uh, a little more quickly uh, I think Daimler mentioned that they expect to have thirty percent electric at the medium duty level by twenty thirty maybe half that at, at in class eight um, how does this existing ecosystem uh, work with autonomous I think this is something that you know you've you've wanted to sort of focus on a bit. Yeah, how how we'll work alongside electric, right? Class eight or yeah. electric or even diesel. I mean, you know, your current your current trucks. How do they get along, if you will? I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, no. So the system right now is being integrated on class eight diesel trucks uh, because those are what are typically used for the longer TR runs that that we're best suited for. But as I said earlier, it it's not much different uh, to get it running on EV. And in the medium term, until EV is ready for really long range, call it you know six, seven hundred mile plus, we'll utilize EV as the drayage trucks uh, inside of our operations, which is where you need them most because the to your point, the disadvantaged communities in the local area uh, are where you know an unfair amount of CO two emissions are being dispersed, and this this is one way to possibly solve that. Sure, Sam. It's interesting. You told me uh, when we chatted uh, briefly that uh, that both your parents are roboticists, and so now here you are working for a robot trucking company, if you will. Um, I just wondered if you could share sort of how that how that affected your choice of career. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I grew up in, in a lab, essentially, like with robots running by and uh, sensors all over the place, and, and it. 
it, it essentially shaped my my belief that this stuff could really bring benefit. Uh, at that point, a lot of it was, to your point, very much a science project. Getting anything to run, uh, any robot to run consistently in the 90s was was a tough task, but it opened my eyes to the possibility and it essentially got me uh, committed to wanting to come back to the space in the long run and, and, and drove me to joining Embark. Uh, I kind of viewed it a little bit as a, you know, a continuation of some of those early days. Yeah, that's great. Last thing I want to get you out of here on this, and that is this idea that, you know, there is some fear and loathing out there that trucking jobs, although we certainly have plenty of them today, you know, with the uh, hopefully the exit of the pandemic, but you've got a lot of uh, trucks that were parked during that. You've got American Trucking Association puts the number at 60,000 uh, truckers that are needed. So maybe there isn't as much fear as there should, uh, as, as maybe there once was. But do you really see the day when we stop using truck drivers? Do they just go on unemployment lines or are there new jobs for them? What do you see there, Sam? Yeah, no, we get asked this question all the time. And, and I think if you dig dig a little deeper, the, the answer is a lot prettier than, than some people might make it out to be. Um, what we see, and, and you probably know this better than I do, trucking demand is growing quickly, uh, both because of just general GDP growth, but more so because of e-commerce and some of the, you know, essentially growing demand for quick delivery that some of the other modes can't offer. And when you couple that with the decline in the number of available drivers, there's a pretty sizable gap to be plugged. And we think autonomous is really just the method to plug that gap so that we have enough drivers for some of the higher, um, call it higher order driving jobs, local driving, dedicated driving, dealing with end customers. We see that the drivers who want to drive will be able to for decades to come. Mm-hmm. You know, and the demographic certainly speaks to, uh, you know, like it, it maybe the biggest thing is trying to attract new drivers to a field that, you know, does have a rather high uh, age range. But uh, anyway, Sam, good discussion. Thank you so much for being with us today. We, uh, we wish all the best to Embark Trucks as you uh, continue to innovate and come up with new ways of, of doing this business. And uh, great having you. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Alan.